Well, indeed, the Lord is our salvation, and He is such a loving God, such a merciful God, such a God full of grace, that He not only saves us, but He He tells us how that happened. He teaches us how we did it. And then He teaches us how to live our new salvation out in a way that's pleasing to Him. And that's why Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. Turn, if you would, to the book of Ephesians this morning as we continue our our series in Ephesians. Paul wrote this book under the authority of Jesus Christ. He is an apostle. Sometimes people want to put Paul versus Jesus. That's very popular when when folks don't like what Paul said. They they say, well, Jesus said it this way, but Paul, he's he's lesser than Jesus. Paul is an apostle. He's a messenger sent by Christ to plant churches, to preach the gospel, and to write scripture. And so he's writing here the exact words that God, that, that Christ wants him to write. I've told you a few times, you'll probably hear it again, that the first half of Ephesians is about doctrine. It's about understanding who you are in Christ. It's about your position in Christ as a believer. If you're a believer today, everything said in chapters 1 through 3 describe you. Either who you are now or who you were before Christ saved you. The second half of the book, the last three chapters, deal with how to live that out. How do we live out this position that we've been given in Christ? Well, we're right in the middle of that doctrinal part. Right in the middle of chapter 2. I want to read to you just the first couple of verses here. Chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. We're starting a new paragraph here in chapter 2. And Paul's going to teach us more about our salvation. And of course, he's going to start with the bad news. And then in coming verses in this passage, we'll get to the good news. But today we're once again going back and looking at the bad news. Chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a description of who we were. Unless you're Jewish here today, most of us are uh, Gentiles, of course. That's a description of who you were before Christ saved you and your ancestors as well. And so I've entitled the message, Your Pagan Past. Your Pagan Past. Because if you don't worship God rightly, the one true God, then you're a pagan. I know typically we we think pagans live in far off lands. No, we have a lot of pagans here in America, in Texas, in San Antonio. Pagans also don't know God through Christ. There's only one way to God the Father. And Jesus said, it's through Him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if somebody doesn't come to the Father through salvation in Christ, then they're not worshiping the one true God of Scripture. Your pagan past. Yeah, you might say my ancestors might have been pagan because I'm a, of Gentile descent. My European ancestors, my African ancestors, my Asian ancestors, of course they were pagan. No, you were like a pagan as well before Christ saved you. And Paul's already sort of touched on this when he talked about individually uh, our Christian uh, conversion. Back in the beginning of chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
And, and so he opens up the chapter just telling us where we were individually before Christ saved us. But then he goes on to say, you formerly walked according to the course of the world, the way that the devil wanted you to, and the way that your lusts wanted you to. So before you came to Christ, who did you really worship? Before you came to Christ, who did you follow? Well, he says, he, he doesn't say we worship those things, but he says we walked according to them. Which means whether we realized it or not, we were worshiping ourselves. We were doing exactly like the world wanted us to. And in a sense, we were worshiping the devil. Not that we were doing sacrifices to Satan, but we were doing exactly as he wanted us to. And he puts the scales over our eyes, so we think we're doing what we want to do, but it's actually exactly what Satan wants to do as well. So we're all pagans before Christ saved us. And after he talks, Paul does, about how dead we were and how Christ made us alive. Christ made us alive. He changed our heart in verse 7. He gave us new life. And we've been saved by God's grace. He's going to go back again in this next paragraph, 11 through 22, and he's going to talk about the difference between Jew and Gentile and, and how lost we were as a people, as a Gentile people, outside of the Jewish nation of Israel. It's, it's worse than just dead in our sins and trespasses. That's bad enough. But worse than that, we didn't even have any hope whatsoever. We had no hope until Christ came and saved us. So in this passage today, the first two verses, 11 and 12 here, Paul's going to state very clearly the large issues, the great issues that are between Jews and Gentiles before they come to Christ. Now he'll get to the Jews in the next section, but today he's just going to talk about us Gentiles. What we were like before God saved us. And I think you're going to see that even though, of course, this would describe our ancestors, it also describes us as well. The first point I want you to see is that we're mocked by the Jews. Gentiles are mocked by the Jews. Again, if you're not Jewish, then you're Gentile. There's only two groups in the Old Testament. The Gentiles, the nations, the Goyim, and the people of Israel. And God set it up that way. It's part of God's plan. And so, if you're not Jewish... Then it came to be that you were mocked by the Jews. And so Paul starts off, he says, Therefore, remember, therefore, since you were dead in your trespasses and sins, since you were saved by Christ, since you know what God has done for you in your heart, what he's done to change you into a new creation, because of all that, Paul says, I, I want to explain something else to you. He says, I want you to remember something else, which means he's already taught them when he was there. But he's reminding them. Thank, thank the Lord he did remind them because we have it in Scripture now. Because he spent two and a half years with them. So he, he's been teaching them these things already. But he writes to remind them in this letter. Yes, God has done all these wonderful things, but also remember, he says. It's the only command that we see in chapters 1 through 3. We're going to see a lot of commands in the second half of the book because he's telling us, do this, do this, do this, because we're saved. We should live a certain way. Here's the only command. You need to remember this teaching. You need to remember these doctrines that he's about to remind them of. And he's about to remind us and teach us. He's going to teach them certain doctrines regarding God's promises to Israel so that they remember where they really were. How far away from God were they? How far away from God were you before Christ saved you? We forget that as Christians. We just think, 
I was a bad person, but then God saved me. And we don't look back much about how sinful we are. So he reminds us, Scripture tells us how bad off we were, how hopeless we were. We were being mocked by the Jews. All Gentiles were in Jesus' day. They were before that. And it continues on even up until today. Remember, he says, I want you to remember something before Christ came and and brought you to himself. And I want you to understand the blessings you now have. You did not have these blessings before Christ. And now, he says, you're going to have these blessings. You have them the moment you're saved and you continue to have them into eternity. So just like he did in the previous paragraph, he starts with the bad news and he talks about how Christ came and changed all of that and how wonderfully blessed we are because of that. But what does he want us to remember? He wants us to remember that we were indeed mocked. He says, formally. Remember that formally, which means before Christ saved you. Not, not looking way back thousands of years to your ancestors, but just in your own personal life. Formally. The Gentiles in the flesh. That's who you were. The Gentiles, the nations. Not Israel, in other words. Not only is your heart wicked, not only is your heart uh, as a sinner wanting to do what is against God's law and against what God has for your life, you're also not God's chosen people. You're not the chosen nation of Israel. That makes Gentiles mad today, especially unbelieving Gentiles. It's not just that we're being mocked by the Jews, but Gentiles are mocking Jews until today. And that makes Gentile people often angry. We're not God's chosen people. How can that be? How can even the church today not be called God's chosen people in the Old Testament? Well, The church isn't in the Old Testament. That comes after Christ. But if you want to turn in your Bible with me, go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. God clearly states that Israel is his chosen people. He tells them. And he tells them it's by his grace that they're chosen. It's not by their works. It's not because they're special. But it's because of his grace. He has chosen them for a specific purpose, a specific reason. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The word Lord in my translations in all caps. It means God's covenant personal name. It's translated as Lord, but it's really Yahweh. It doesn't, it doesn't even translate into English. It's, it's a Hebrew name of God, Yahweh. You are part of my people, God says. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, he chose Israel. Why did he do it? Well, he says in verse 7, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you are the fewest of all peoples. God didn't choose Israel because they were so numerous, so great, such a mighty people. In fact, they were the smallest of all the peoples. If you look at all the different tribes and tongues and peoples and nations, Israel was was very small. Why did he choose them? Verse 8, But because Yahweh loved you, and he kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Yahweh brought you out by a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did God choose them? Because he promised to do so. He promised to do so to their ancestors, to their forefathers. He keeps his promises. And he says he loves them. Even before he mentions the promises, the Lord set his love on them. Yahweh loved you and he kept the oath. 
It was because of his love, because of his grace, once again, Paul is saying, really, because of his grace that he did so. Well, God has chosen Israel, and we're not of Israel. If you're not saved in Christ, you have no relationship at all to the people of Israel. An unsaved Gentile is not related, other than through Adam, they're not related at all, which means you're not going to get the promises and the blessings of the Old Testament. Paul goes on. Those who are called uncircumcision. It's probably in quotes in your Bible. It's like calling someone a bad name, the uncircumcision. And they're called this, we're called this, by the so-called circumcision. So there's two groups. Right? I already told you there were, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. Well, in Paul's day and even before that, the Jews were called the circumcision group and the uncircumcision described all the Gentiles. But again, these are in quotes because it's, it's name-calling. It's a term of derision. It's a term of mockery. A term of reproach. The uncircumcision. That's what all you Gentiles are, the Jews would say. Uncircumcision. He's not speaking here of a spiritual circumcision. He's not speaking of baptism. So many faithful brothers and other regards uh, who do baby baptism want to look here and, and say that the discussion is about baptism or it's about the heart. No, no, it's about the physical flesh, the, the circumcision in the flesh. As Gentiles, they had not undergone the ceremonial procedure to be circumcised. And we know this is a name-calling thing that the Jews did because the word here in Greek isn't as, as nice as uncircumcision. It actually translates here as foreskins. You foreskins. You know, when David went up against uh, Goliath, what did he call him? He says, you're going to talk to my God that way, you uncircumcised Philistine." It was a term of derision, a term of mockery. And the Jews would say this about the Gentiles. You're not part of us. You're not God's people. Of course, the Pharisees would have loved this type of thing. And the Judaizers were even going in the church and stirring up trouble, saying that people had to be circumcised if they were Gentiles. But Paul doesn't say this. Paul's not saying that that's true. He's saying the so-called circumcision group is calling you the uncircumcision. You, you Ephesians got to understand, Paul says, that's not designed in the Bible that way. God didn't want you to be mocked when he chose Israel. God didn't say, I choose Israel, now Israel go mock the nations, go mock the Gentiles. No, that developed out of their own prideful heart. They got, they got proud. They got proud because they were the circumcised group. But Paul doesn't want to use such terms. He says the so-called group circumcision is calling you that before you came to Christ. That's, that's where you stood with God's people. That's where you stood with the nation of Israel. There's this enmity. There's this fighting really going on in people's hearts between Jews and Gentiles. What is circumcision? It's a, it's a mark of the covenant. It, it's a mark that you were a Jew. You had to have this ceremonial procedure done. On the eighth day, a male child would be circumcised. His foreskin cut off by a rabbi. And that was what you did to show you were part of God's covenant with Abraham. And if you didn't do that, you were cast out. And uncircumcised means that you're outside those promises of Abraham. We're going to look at what God promised Abraham. But right now, just uncircumcised means you're outside those promises. You don't get any of them if you're not saved, if you're not in Christ. 
Circumcision was not a popular thing amongst the Gentiles. Really, no Gentiles were circumcised in the ancient time. Romans and Greeks made fun of the Jews. They were hostile toward the Jews for even doing such a practice. So there was this constant battling back and forth between Jew and Gentile. Now, of course, you'll know if you know your Bible history that the Romans came in and they conquered the Jews. So the nation itself was conquered by Gentiles. There was this strong animosity when Christ comes and when Paul writes between Jew and Gentile. Now, we'll stop here. You might think, what's the big deal with with circumcision? I mean, really, what's the big deal with it? Lots of Gentiles are circumcised today. They're circumcised as babies. That's been a practice in our nation for about 100 years. But that's for cosmetic reasons. It's not done for religious reasons. Gentiles don't typically go and have their baby circumcised for a ceremonial Jewish practice. That's only done with God's covenant people. So it is a big deal to them. It is a big, it's not a big deal to Gentiles. Genesis 17 said, all descendants of Abraham must be circumcised. Let's go there. Genesis 17.10. Genesis 17.10. You must be circumcised. Oh, you don't get all the promises that God gave to Israel. God says to Abraham, after he's called them out of the land of his ancestor, Abraham is the, the first Jew. First Jew was previously a pagan too. God calls him out of this pagan land, his pagan ancestors. Genesis 17.10, this is my covenant. So he's already, he's already given really the Abrahamic covenant. And he says, here's, Here's how you know you're in that covenant. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Well, what about the women? Well, yeah, if, if the males were being circumcised, then all the women yeah, coming along the descendants were also in this group, of course, as people of God. But only males can be circumcised, obviously. God says you shall be circumcised in the flesh. So again, it's this circumcised in the flesh. The same phrase Paul uses. In Ephesians, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. It's not magical. It's not mystical. There's blood. There's babies crying. But you do it, he says, not because it, it does some amazing work in your heart, but to show that you're a descendant of Abraham. And if Abraham's been given promises and Abraham's been giving blessings by God, why wouldn't you want to be part of that and so god says do this this is the covenant this is the agreement that i'm giving to you they don't get a choice in it they have to do it but he says an uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that person shall be cut off from his people he's broken my covenant he doesn't get the blessings that god gave to abraham and he needs to leave israel he's an outcast He's not followed the agreement that God made with his people. So men of Israel were to show that they were part of God's people by, by performing this surgical procedure, by performing this sign on the male anatomy. But they became very proud of it. They became very proud of it. They became so proud that they would look down their noses at everyone else. And they were so proud. We see this in, in Paul's day in Philippians 3.5. Paul's looking back. He's looking back to when he was a Pharisee. And he says that I was a Pharisee of Pharisees circumcised on the eighth day. 
He puts that circumcision way up at the beginning of the list and all the other things come after it. Even when he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of this tribe. I'm of this clan. That all comes after the circumcision mentioned. He was circumcised on the eighth day, just like Leviticus said. And Paul thought that was something special when he was an unbeliever. That was a great thing that I did. But now he says in, in Philippians, it was, it was nothing. It really was nothing when it comes to Christ. I mean, yeah, I did it because I was supposed to, because God commanded it. But now that I'm in Christ, he says, I count all the list of things that I did and I patted myself on the back. All those things, he says, they're rubbish. Rubbish. Not that God didn't command some of those things to the Israelites, but Paul says, I couldn't earn anything from that. Now, they got prideful. They got very prideful because they had been circumcised. And that wasn't the plan. That wasn't what God had told them to do. Exodus 19.6. What is Israel's mission? Exodus 19.6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What are they supposed to do? God saves them out of Egypt. He brings them into the land, just like he said he would do. He gives them the land. He tells them how to worship him, how to build the temple, the tabernacle, how to do everything with the priests, Levites. What are they supposed to do? They're not supposed to go out into the world. That's going to come in the New Testament. They're supposed to stay in the land and show people who the true God is. They're going to be a beacon. They're going to be a light on the hill. People should be attracted to them. They're going to have different dietary laws, different worship practices. They're only going to worship one God, which was unusual in ancient times. And people were supposed to look to them and come and ask questions and say, who is this God you worship? Who is this God who blesses you in battle? Who is this God who has brought you into the land and allowed you to conquer all the Canaanites? That was their mission. That was their goal. How did they do? Well, generally not very good. Sometimes Gentile people were saved. Rahab the Canaanite. Ruth the Moabite. Sometimes people were saved that were not part of, of Israel. And they, 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 they found the true God by coming to Israel. But in general, the nation did not accomplish what God had told them to do. They didn't follow the laws God gave them. They started worshiping other gods just like all the nations around them. And you couldn't find the true God in that time unless you happened upon a true believer. You come into Israel, you're looking for the true God. And well, they're all over here worshiping pagan idols just like we do. I'm going back home. I can do that back home. So they didn't do well. God eventually punished them. He destroyed the, the political nation in ancient times with the Babylonians. But instead of doing what God had told them, they... they they gathered up in their little holy huddles. It'd be like some Christians today. But we're saved. That's all good. Let's just fellowship together. We won't have anything to do with the outside world. We'll even buy some nice property out here and just go live on it and have a little Christian commune and have a little monastery and a convent. And we won't have anything to do with those sinners in the world. They, they gathered in their holy huddle and they said, we have nothing to do with the Gentiles. You remember Jonah? Sent by God. God spoke to Jonah, go to Nineveh, that pagan city. That city that's going to attack you and someday take away your nation. Go there and preach the gospel of repentance. Was Jonah happy about that? He's a prophet of God and he doesn't want to go. Why? Because they were prideful. We're God's chosen people. I don't want to go there because if I tell them what you're telling me, God, they're going to, you're going to save them. I'm not going there. I'm, I'm going to take a ship. And, you know, we know where Jonah ends up there and he preaches repentance. And what happens? They're all converted. And Jonah gets mad at God for saving a whole city. 
prideful, arrogant. Even though Jonah himself, I think, was a believer, he became prideful. And that's what's happening in Ephesians. That's what's happening even up till today. There's this pridefulness, Jew looking at Gentile. We see some of this even in the New Testament. Some of this pridefulness. Even when a Jew got saved, they were doing what? They were going to some churches and they were saying, okay, I'm a saved Jew. You're a saved Gentile. Here's what you need to do. Get circumcised and follow the Mosaic law. And so there's this battling, even between Peter and Paul. There's an argument going on. They have to go up to the the council in Acts 15. They have to consult with James, the apostle. Solve this problem. Can we eat unclean foods? Do these Gentiles have to be circumcised? Do they have to obey all the practices that Moses commands? And you know what the council said? They don't. They don't. This is a new covenant. This is something new in Christ. Just don't offend your Jewish brothers, but get along as one in Christ. The book of Galatians is all about this. The book of Galatians is about how in the church we're in Christ And we don't need to go back under the law. We don't need to be circumcised. We don't need to follow the commands of Moses. Well, Paul says that they are uncircumcised. And they're called this, he says. We're still in the first verse because it's that much packed in here. They're called this by the so-called circumcision. And then he adds this little phrase at the end. This is a circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands. This is, this is shocking. Why is this shocking? Because Paul's reminding them that God didn't do your circumcision. That's by human hands. That, that's something that you guys do to each other because God commanded it, yes, but it doesn't guarantee that they're even saved. Circumcision does not guarantee salvation even for the Jew. It's, it's by human hands. Now they would have really understood this because the The same word used here, human hands, is used in the Greek Old Testament. And it it, it often is used to talk about pagan gods made by human hands. And Paul's saying, just like those pagan gods are made by human hands, circumcision is by human hands as well. And he says, look, don't boast about it. Don't boast about circumcision. Don't look down your nose. It's just as implication here. Don't mock the Gentiles. Because... It's circumcision of the heart that matters. Anybody can cut off flesh. Anybody can cut off flesh. That's by hand. Yeah, they look down their noses at the Gentiles, but Paul says anybody can do circumcision, really. Paul wants them to be circumcised in their heart. He talks about this in other places in Romans. He says, Romans 2.28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. That's not the most important circumcision, he says. The one in the flesh, it really doesn't matter unless you have, he says, even to the Jews. He's not a Jew outwardly if you've been circumcised, but inwardly, inwardly, if you have a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, not by the law. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Circumcised, just like God said, if you were a Jew. But don't pat yourself on the back. 
That's done by men's hands. But the circumcision of the heart, which is done by God and His Holy Spirit, Paul says in Romans, that's the circumcision that's important. That's what you should be looking for. So there's this division, and it's going to carry over into the church. That's why he's addressing it. The Jews are mocking them. Second point, we're outside the people of God. Gentiles are outside the people of God. Of course they are. They're not Israel. And he says, remember, beginning of verse 12, remember that you were at that time. So he's, he's talked about one thing. Now he's going to go into another major topic. Remember who you were before Christ came and saved you. Before, before coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. Before that time. That's the marker there. When you, you knew of Christ, you trusted in Him. When you were saved. Before that though, now he's going to start describing who you were again. Not only is there this problem between Jew and Gentile, but there's a problem between you and God before you come to Christ. There's a problem between you and God. And he's going he's gonna to describe it with five privileges that Israel had. Israel has five, thing, five things that the Gentiles do not have. We could call them five deficiencies that we had as Gentiles. There's five things we lack that they had. And he's going to start to list these. First of all, Christless. The first deficiency he mentions is Christless. You're, you're separate from Christ. You're, maybe a better translation is apart from Christ. Far from Christ. You are a Gentile. You are far from Christ. You might say, well, you know, I grew up I grew up in a Christian home. I wasn't far from Christ. I heard about Him every day. I was in a Christian home. In your heart, you were far from Christ. Because if you were close with Christ, you'd be saved. Before you got saved, you were far from Christ. You were just like any pagan who's worshiping a false god. You essentially were in your heart. But you know, it's even worse. You grow up hearing the Bible and you, you, you reject it. That's actually more judgment because you've heard the truth and you've heard the truth. So if you heard the truth and rejected it for years, then you got saved, you have even more to be thankful for than a pagan who gets saved because you heard the truth and rejected it over and over. More judgment, God says, on those who hear the truth and deny it. You are apart from Christ. Don't, don't be fooled by American Christian culture. Don't be fooled by growing up in a household that had a sense of Christianity. Maybe your parents were saved. They can't save you. And you're not born saved into the world. So, so don't think, well, my parents were saved, therefore I've always been a Christian. It's not possible. It's not true, Paul says. You're, you're dead in your transgressions and sins, and you were without Christ. Or maybe you, you don't know if your parents were Christian, but they kind of had a Christian culture. doesn't matter. Unless you're actually saved, worshiping God rightfully through Christ, you're apart from Him. This is going to be a sad list of five deficiencies here. To be Christless. Christ is the anointed one. He's the one that the Jews had a hope for. It means Messiah or anointed one. Messianic hope. Messiah. The Messiah in the Old Testament, we call Him Christ in the New because that's the Greek word. The pagans had no clue about the coming Messiah. They had no clue. 
Because they didn't have the scriptures. They did not have the Old Testament to read. The Jews knew of the Messiah coming. Doesn't mean they were all saved, but at least they knew he was coming. Pagans had no hope. Our ancestors had had no hope of knowing Christ. They were Christless. And we were Christless, in a sense, before we got saved. Our forefathers would, wouldn't even have known what the word Christ meant. It's a Greek word, but what would they have known? What would the Romans have known? If the emperor heard of Christ, the word itself would have had no meaning unless Paul taught the emperor what it meant. I think he did when he appeared before the emperor. I think he did proclaim Christ. All our ancestors had was pagan gods. The, the Ephesians here worshipped Diana. They worshipped Diana in this fabulous temple. This huge black statue with all multiple breasts all the way down. And they believed they could come in there and get some milk from this goddess and that would bless them. And they had magical writings on the statue. And if they copied them down and sold them, people could take them home and and do magic and get special blessings. That's what was going on in Ephesus. They made offerings to this statue. They worshipped at the temple of this demon. That's who they were before Christ saved them. Who were you before Christ saved you? Who were you? How how awful were you? You might think I was never that bad. I, I was never like the Ephesians worshiping false statues. What were you worshiping? Yourself? Your wealth? Your things? Maybe you said, well, yeah, I kind of worshiped God. No, that was a made up God, the Bible says. If you're not in Christ, then you're not truly worshiping God. Maybe you had a sense of the true God, but you were you were worshiping kind of mix of yourself and and the world's God, and your own image of God, and your own picture of Jesus. Without Christ, Christless. Secondly, second deficiency that describes us as as people outside of God's chosen people. We're outside. Secondly, we're homeless. We're homeless. We have no home. We have no true people group as Gentiles to belong to. There's Israel, and then there's just everybody else. You know, there are lots of pagan nations that are no longer in existence. There are lots mentioned in the Bible you can't find today because God wiped them out. And Gentiles just wonder. They don't have a country like Israel does. They don't have a land. They just wander from place to place. They destroy one another. They disappear. New tribes and clans rise up. That's the story of history. Paul says, here's who you were. You were without Christ, and secondly, he says you're excluded. Really, the better translation is alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Excluded makes us think we once had it, and then we got kicked out. Better translation is just alienated. You are a stranger. You are an alien in a a place where you could not get the commonwealth of Israel. And I, I don't even like commonwealth. I think it's better citizenship. Citizenship. That's how it's used in Acts 22:28. Same word there. Paul's uh, talking to the Roman commander there. He's been arrested. And he says, you're going to whip a Roman citizen? And the commander says, I acquired this citizenship. It's the same Greek word that we see here in Ephesians 2. I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul goes on to say, I was actually born a citizen. I'm born a citizen of Rome. Citizenship meant a lot to them. And it means a lot to us. You probably take it for granted being a citizen of the United States. But it gives you rights. It gives you privileges. It gives you a home, a place. Even if you travel outside the country, 
You're from the United States. You're a citizen of the United States. So I would translate it, alienated from the citizenship of Israel. We were not unified with Israel ever as Gentiles, ever. And we're outside of Israel. We have no place to call home. Paul uses the same word in Philippians 3.20, which we'll look at in a moment. But we're, we're not part of the rights and privileges that are granted to Israel by God. Never say, I had all those promises in the Old Testament granted to me or promised me before I came to Christ. The Old Testament is not about you, Gentile, until you come to Christ. Then it's all about you. Now, of course, Adam and Eve are about you, but after Abraham comes on the scene, it's all about Israel until you're saved. And when you're saved, all of that history becomes part of your spiritual history as well. We'll come to that in the next section of this Ephesians 2 paragraph. But Paul says you're, you're alienated from the citizenship of Israel. You have, you have no right. You cannot claim your right. Something happens to you in America, you can appeal your rights. You can appeal to the Constitution. You can hire lawyers. You can, you can go up through the government. You can go up through the, the courts to the Supreme Court. You have rights. Sometimes they're violated, but you have them anyway. No rights to the promises of Israel. Paul talks more about this in Ephesians 4.19. Go over to Ephesians uh, 4.19. There's a change though when we come to Christ. As unbelieving Gentiles, as pagans, we had no citizenship. But Paul says in, in 4.19, And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity. Oh, that's the wrong one. We got the wrong one. And in Ephesians 4, he talks about that we're now citizens. We're now citizens together. Jew and Gentile are citizens together. Didn't write down the right reference, but he also speaks of this in Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our citizenship is. Before you come to Christ, you have no citizenship. You can't claim the promises of Israel, and you can't say, I'm going to heaven before you have come to Christ. Afterwards, your citizenship is in heaven, and you get some of the promises that were given to Israel in the Old Testament. That's amazing. And that leads us to the next one. Not only are we Christless, not only are we homeless, but thirdly, covenantless covenantless he says we're strangers xenos is the is the greek word we're strangers to the covenants of promise strangers alienated now we're strangers well of course if, if we're not part of israel if we're not a citizen of israel the, the jewish people then we don't get the covenants promised to them that's a gentile before they come to christ Israel was given specific covenants. And these covenants promised many blessings in the future. How do they know they're going to get these blessings? Because God promised them. And He called them covenants. And they weren't mutual agreements. It wasn't like they had to do their part and God did His part. The unconditional covenants all depended on God. They were His covenants. I'm talking about the Abrahamic. I'm talking about the Davidic covenant. And I'm talking about the new covenant. 
I would not include the Mosaic. I don't think Paul would either. Because he tells us over and over that Christ fulfilled the Mosaic covenant. The one given in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Christ fulfilled that. But the Abrahamic, it's everlasting. The Davidic, everlasting. The new covenant, everlasting. So to understand what he means by covenantless, we've got to do a Bible study here. Let's go to Genesis 12. You need to understand this. Yes, you're a Gentile. Yes, you've been saved by Christ if you're actually a believer here today. But you need to understand how you fit in with God's promises to the Jews. How do you fit in? Can you just go plop down in Israel today and say, God gave me this piece of land. I'm an Israelite. You can't. I think the land is a a separate promise that will be given when Christ returns. I don't think the modern nation even has all the land that God has promised, but that's beside the point. Let's look at what he gives to Abraham. Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, so before his name changed to Abraham, the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. There's a promise. Abrahamic covenant right here. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So what's he saying here? I'm going to make you a a great nation, a powerful nation. I'm going to make your name, Abraham, great. You're going to be known throughout the world. And so you shall be a blessing. You're going to bless other people. Remember Israel's purpose? They're supposed to bless other people, show them who God is. I'll make you a great nation, God says. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, Abraham didn't know it, but that's going to work itself out through Christ. He trusted that God would do what God said here. But all the families of the earth, even the Gentiles, yeah, through Abraham's descendant, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So that's the Abrahamic covenant. You're without that before you come to Christ. You don't have those promises. You don't have that last one. You And you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. You don't have a home. You don't have a future blessing upon the earth when Christ returns. Without Christ, you have no promises at all. Nothing. The only promise, he said, for those who don't believe in Christ are eternity and hell. Second Samuel. Go forward in your Bibles to 2 Samuel. The Davidic covenant with King David. 2 Samuel chapter 7. You need to see this in your Bibles. You need to know the Davidic covenant. It points to Christ. It connects the Abrahamic with the new covenant which Christ will bring in. The Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel 7 and verse 12. When your days are complete, God says to David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. So David's thinking that's going to be my son. He shall build a house for my name. That's going to be the temple. That's, that is Solomon. And, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, now we've gone beyond Solomon. This is forever. This is going into the future for eternity. Verse 14. I will be a father to him, 
and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men. Well, Christ didn't commit sin, iniquity. So again, back to Solomon and the strokes of the sons of men. Verse 15, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I remove from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. How's that going to work? David died. Solomon died. Every king after David has died except Christ who still lives. He still lives in the flesh. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's coming back to reign. He's coming back to bring all the believers with him and reign upon the earth. All the ones who've already died, he will raise. All the ones upon the earth that are believers, when he returns, and he will gather them. And he is the descendant that will reign forever and ever. Without Christ, you don't have the Abrahamic, you don't have the Davidic, which means you don't have a king reigning over you forever and ever. That's sad enough. But then the new covenant, go forward to Ezekiel 36. This is, this is deep theology. This is maybe something you haven't considered before that you need to think about. Ezekiel, moving forward quite a bit in your Bible. Chapter 36, verse 23. Israel has been destroyed. The nation has been taken away into captivity. What are they going to do? And God makes them some promises. They've been wiped out. They're living in Babylon. And through the prophet Ezekiel and also Jeremiah, but we'll just look here at Ezekiel 36, 23. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. He's going to fulfill that Abrahamic covenant. He's going to bring them back to the land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. That's a cleansing. That's a forgiveness of sins. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols, Moreover, I will give you a new heart. Now we know this is New Testament, New Covenant. He's going to give them a new heart. That's exactly what Paul's been talking about in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. A new heart. They're going to be made alive. I will remove the heart of stone. So they get a new heart. They get a new spirit. He takes out the heart of stone from your flesh. He gives you a heart of flesh. I'll put my Holy Spirit within you. That's the Holy Spirit. And and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And then he goes on to say, they will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. That's the new covenant. Who was it promised to first? Israel. Because of Abraham. You say, well, I have access to the new covenant. Yes, you do through Christ. You do through Christ. That's, again, going all the way back to all the families of the earth will be blessed. You're saved and you have access to these blessings. You get them as well. Outside of Christ, though, Paul says, you have no covenant. You're you're covenantless. So those are the three covenants that we're missing out on until Christ saves us. And then number four, hopeless. It just keeps getting worse. Christless is, is terrible. Homeless. Covenantless. Hopeless. After the first three, there's just no hope. There's no hope without Christ. There's no hope before Christ saves you. Now, he's not saying that the Gentiles had no hope throughout history. 
they hoped in a lot of things. They hoped in themselves. They, they, they put hope in false gods. But there's no hope outside the true God. And without the scriptures pointing you to the true God, it's hopeless. Can a person be saved without the gospel today? No, it's hopeless. They have to hear the gospel. Where's the gospel come from? It comes from the scriptures. Well, ancient pagans did not have the scriptures. It's hopeless. And it's hopeless today unless you tell somebody the gospel from the scriptures. They're they're not going to know what's there. They're not going to know about the Christ. They're not going to know about the Messiah. You've got to tell them. Last night we were doing the parade in Bernie. And, And I think the teenagers handed out if I'm guessing correctly, two to three hundred postcards and tracks just going down the street. You know, I'm just waving on the float with all the little kids and those teenagers are out there working and they are giving the gospel in a little pamphlet to somebody that I hope will pick it up and read it later. People need to hear of the hope in Christ. Without hope, what do you do? What do people do when they don't have hope? They just make up their own path. Where did Buddhism come from? Where, where does paganism come from? Where does uh, Muslim religion come from? Islam. Making up your own path. You have no hope, so you just, hey, I'm going to design something new. I can get to heaven that way. Even in America, people just make up their own path. I believe in God. I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. It's called American deism. Believing some kind of God, the God maybe of the Bible, but I get there through my works. Well, that's hopeless. That's hopeless. The Bible says you can't get there through works and it's hopeless. Lastly, he says that we were godless. Before we were saved, we were Gentile and we were godless. Without God in the world. The word here is actually atheos. We get our English word atheist from this. It can mean a complete atheist. But there really is not such a thing as a complete atheist. Romans 1 says everyone knows in their heart that there is a God. And they know that God created everything. And they know that they should give thanks to that God who created everything. And in the ancient world, there really wasn't any true atheist. No one went around writing books on how God doesn't exist. An atheist back then was someone who had no relationship with a God. And here Paul says, you didn't even have a relationship with the one true God. You had had no relationship. You could not pray to God as an unbeliever and expect anything from Him. You could not worship Him because you didn't even know who He was. You were without God. How how hopeless, how depressing is this list? Christless, homeless, covenantless, hopeless, godless. You're just a heathen. It's really what uncircumcision could translate into in modern lingo. Just, Just a heathen. Even if you grew up in a Christian home, if you weren't saved yet, you were basically a heathen. Your parents might have called you that, and I might call my kids that sometimes, but I'm talking serious now. Pagans in our hearts against God. But, just a preview of where we're going next. Go back to Ephesians 2. But, there's always a but, isn't there? Look at this. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who were formerly, were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You had none of these things. You were were without anything that was promised to Israel. But because of Christ, now you've been brought near and you get it. You get it all. You get it all. But before that, what a sad, depressing state. It should make you want to tell people about Christ. 
This is a description. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and 11 and 12 is a description of people without Christ. You should want to tell people. You should want to tell people about the good news. If you're in Christ today, you should give thanks. That's why Paul's putting it here. Remember, he says, remember, he's commanding us to give thanks. To give thanks. You've been blessed. You received something that was not promised you in the Old Testament, and now, surprisingly, it's been given in the New. There were hints in the Old. But look at how much we see in the New Testament, mostly written to Gentiles in the New Testament. Most of those books are written to Gentile churches. And if you're still trying to earn your salvation, if you're here today and and you're not in Christ, and you think, that's nice, but I can get those by doing my good works, you won't find that at all in the Bible. Go back to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's only through Christ. It's not by your works. It's only through Christ. Through faith in Him, granted to you by the grace of God. You have to trust in Christ, or you'll never get any of these blessings. The blessings that we're without, you'll never get them outside of Christ. You can't find the covenants of God outside of Christ. You can't can't get them. You can't get a home. You can't get Christ unless you come to Him and repent of your sins. Let's pray now that we might give thanks for what God has done for us. Lord, I do pray that you would remind us every day. We, we forget, Lord. We forget. We get busy in our own lives. We just forget who we once were. Sometimes we don't even know that we were this bad off when we were unbelieving, when we were pagan in our hearts. So help us to remember, help us to praise you every day, to thank you for salvation. And Lord, let us tell others of this good news. The whole world seems to worship themselves. They seem to worship money, success. Give us opportunities to share the gospel. Make us bold so that we might declare this truth. Let us be like Paul, ready to proclaim Jesus at any moment, anytime there's an open door. Pray that you would do these things in your mighty power. Amen.